Ugo, thank you for doing this um, video podcast with us. Really appreciate it. Um, I know a lot of people know who you are as a name, but I don't think they really know who you are as a person. And so I hope that you'll give us a bit of that information. Um, I know that you, we all know that you grew up in Milan. You're Italian. You moved to Miami. You went to University of Miami, studied business. And then how did you get into real estate? How did that start? Uh well, when I, as I was in school and I was coming to an end of school, I wanted to stay in Miami. I didn't really want to go back at the time. So I, there was a lot of, at the time, a lot of people that had investments in Miami. A lot of Italians had bought uh, apartments, uh, some people that knew my parents. And so I started like managing their properties for them, renting them. So you were like a you were you were like a realtor. You started off as like a sort of a real no, estate agent. I, no, I, I started off as a property manager. Okay. So you know, it was mainly managing. I mean, using a broker to rent them, but you know, managing the rentals, managing you know, change the carpet when there was a switch of tenants and uh, um, yeah, property management. Uh, at the same time, I remember when I was in school, I lived in a building on Biscayne in the beginning, you know, the first year called Charter Club, and uh, they had a building under construction next to it. And I, I, Miami Skyline was a little different back then, just so if you, if you can't picture this and you're yes, listening to this and watching it, different. it doesn't really look like it does today. So, you know, the, the Charter Club is one of those 1970s brown building, and, uh, you know, they had another building that actually was a little bit more modern. But, you know, it was fascinating for me because I was on, on the, the, one of the higher floors to see how the, all these pieces were coming together during construction, how, you know, I have no idea how you, you built a building. So, you know, seeing how they poured the concrete and the rebar and the sequence. You so know, you were just a, studying from your apartment yeah, I was looking, looking as the they watched this building. Just, but, you know, it just was something that I guess just was in the back of my head. So, but then when I finished college, university, um, I started a company that was managed, started managing, you know, condominiums and buildings. And that's where, you know, the, the CMC was really means management company, Colombo Management Company. Um, How old were you when this started? Just to put this into context. Mid-20s. Okay. So you were just starting. And uh, so, you know, started like with this management company which you know then we started managing then i had a certain point i had two partners you know the one was more of a finance on the finance side the other one was more on the management side and you know so the three of us we started uh, managing different properties including some shopping centers but mainly condominiums and uh, uh, as as uh, we were managing condominiums by then i had moved to a condominium called the yeah, it's still there. <laughs> yeah, it's still there. No, but I moved there, and uh, it was the, the late 80s, beginning of the 90s, with the savings and loan crisis. You're in the Imperial, and, and, and those who don't know, it, it runs like the, I think it's the Palace, and I lived in the Palace, weirdly enough. The Palace, Villa Regina, and then I think Imperial's like the next one along. And then, weirdly no, enough. The, no, it was the Imperial, the Atlantis. That's it. And the palace, the Atlantis is the famous one from Miami Vice that has the palm tree. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, the, the the developer was uh, uh, 
Hemsley, I think. And yeah. then there was the first project by Architectonica at the time. So the building had, you know, the, a different architecture than what you, you were yeah. seeing around Miami. As I was managing condominiums, there was the, the late 80s was the saving and loan crisis, which was, you know, a major banking financial crisis that, you know, most people forgot about or they were too young to yeah. know about it. Uh, but a lot of properties were taken on by the FDIC at the time. A lot of banks collapsed and there were a lot of foreclosure. And so a number of buildings were taken on by the FDIC. And I was on the board of those buildings. And that's how really I started working because, you know, the, the, in managing these properties and seeing this FDIC people coming from Chicago trying to take over a building, we made a deal and we said, okay, how about you let me manage the sales and, you know, basically dispose of these units. Yeah. We agree on a price and I'll, you know, whatever above this price I'll get. And, uh, and that's what happened with the Imperial. The Imperial, the, the FTSC took over 130 units at the time. So you're brokering the sales of 130 I wasn't brokering, units. I was managing okay. brokers. Just to be clear. And okay. the management of the building. I never... Uh, got into uh, the brokerage side of it. No, I never got into the brokerage side. Um, and then, matter, I never got a commission in my life. <laughs> <laughs> you could have made quite a lot of money from that, but uh, I guess I you did okay, money, no, so it's, it's all right. You've got to choose a line of business. So yeah. I, I, you know, I figure it's going to stay on the management side rather than the... Um, so then, after the Imperial, the FTSC took over Villa Regina, which is the, the multicolor building. Yes, the, the, it's known as a, 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 an art piece. I believe it's classified as, as, a, as a, um, the largest piece of art in the world because of its yeah, I, guess, no, I, I think the guys from Sherwin William when we had to repaint it <laughs> having a, a they had a good they, yeah. yeah I think yeah. they did okay out of it too yeah no, but we repainted the building and I remember it was like you know a, a nightmare figuring out which color was going where yeah uh, color scheming one is hard enough but I think yeah. there's got a you know it's a rainbow so it's a bit more tricky so and and uh, so we I made a deal with a big company because I couldn't take over that building own so but with Trammell Crow which is a big you know real estate company we partnered up to take over that building from the FDIC and then from there uh, that's where I really started developing and I learned about a building yeah. I learned about the intricacies of the build of a building and uh, uh, what, what was your first project just the first project days. was the, the Bristol Tower which is on 21st and Brickhope. Which is actually does very well. I mean, it, weirdly enough, I was talking to your team about this earlier on, and if you look at the resales in these buildings in the projects that you've done, they've done really well. Um, and I'd love to hear it in your words why you think that is, but I, I see the appetite for that product for big units, more livable units now, stronger than ever. That was your first one. Yeah, that was my first project, and my, my thinking behind it was that Miami was a little... I mean, like most of the United States, driven by, you know, luxury is a house and an apartment is just utilitarian. It's like, you know, it's second tier yeah. of quality of life. And, you know, I come from Europe where everybody lives in an apartment, flat an apartment. So when you, you, grew up in, you grew up in Milan, yeah. so 
did you grow up in a, in a in a condominium environment? Were you in a house environment? You in a, in no, a, in a, there's no houses in Milan. I mean, okay. yeah, gorgeously done. And you saw that level of luxury, and you just didn't see it being yeah, so done said, in, why, in the U.S. You know, so I, exactly. So I said, how about you know, building a building that is luxury, has big terraces, security, private elevators, and large unit units that compare to a size of a house. Yeah. And so that was my, f- and with a different architectural look. You know, I wanted to, to find a different look, which is together with Luis Revuelta, which has been my architect ever since, so did most of my buildings. So um, Luis has done, so you've obviously got Bristol, and I know obviously you've got Santa Maria, and I know you've got Grosvenor, and so he's been the architect yes. throughout that process. Yes. That process and the concept was, you know, the white, get rid of the brown, get rid of the beige, uh, stay on the blue and the white, and and you know, brighter colors and linearity and wraparound balconies. Uh, that all that big stuff, how's it evolved? I mean, obviously, I, I look at the architecture of Bristol and I look at obviously then Santa Maria and I look at the even Grosvenor and I see there's an involvement, there's an evolving process here. How have you? How have you handled that? Like, what was the driving force as you've seen this change? Was it just observing the people around, or was it just something that you felt, okay, I want to do it in a different way now? Yeah, it was like, I want to do it in a different way. Yeah, you wanted to adapt and, and do something. Um, I thought that Miami was ripe for a different... Uh, for a different style? Because all your buildings are quite different. They have a different element to each and every one of them. They're not all cookie-cutter the same. And I know we see a lot of what I call, and this is one of the problems that we have in Miami, we have a lot of same, same, but different product. It's very yeah. replicable, it's yeah, very generic. Yeah, I always generic. try to come up with a different... Different look. product. I mean, yeah. maintain the same luxury, the same baseline, but, you know, different identities. Your association with condos as a, as a primary residence, because I noticed that within the buildings that you do, the units are much bigger than in other buildings. You have much bigger floor plans. By and large, if you go through the buildings, they're much, much more significant, much more substantial. Well, I want to make sure that when a buyer walks into the unit, they're happy with what they bought. And, and uh, not everybody really realizes on paper what, what is... You know what is it exactly that the ultimate product is, and and uh, you know maybe you you see the floor plan, you might not realize the size of the closet, you might not realize you know that it's hard to go by in here. So I want to make sure that the floor plans work, that yeah. the closets are properly sized, that uh, you know a jacket needs you know two feet for a hanger. It's interesting you say that because it's such a fundamental, and I and I see this every day. So my wife is a designer and she's involved in internal architecture all day long. And I've looked at so many floor plans of so many buildings, and I've looked at it and I've gone, this just doesn't work. You, people don't live like this. I mean, you can't live with a closet that is, you know, one foot by one. It's crazy. And no, I know. So I, I want to avoid that. So I want to make sure, you know, that, you know, as I, that I don't want to say use the word fool, but it's, fine. it's easy to fool someone on paper because, you know, most people don't realize. It has. It went through, if you look at, uh, I think, 13 to 2012 to 2016, and I, I did this on reports, we looked at the performance of the Miami condo market 
And we had a lot of flight capital from South America, a lot of investors coming in, but they were buying to rent it out. And then when they come to resell it, they had a real problem because no end users could really use it as a functioning primary property or something that they could use for any substantial amount of time. You know, tenants put up with a lot, but end users don't. Um, yeah, so I, mean, I, I try to deliver a product that is livable, that people are happy because, you know, I want to have my buyers, you know, to be happy about their purchases. It, what, is, what is it, when you go through this process, what are like, there's a thought process that you go through when you're designing a floor plan and designing a building. Um, and I know each building's different, but I'm curious to know what are the the things that you say, you know, this is really, really, really important and we cannot compromise on whatever it is. There are certain like must-haves. Well, there are certain things that, I mean, I always think about what about if I lived here? And, uh, you know, sometimes there are certain things that I, you know, would like to have and I make sure that some people might not care or disagree with me, but I, you know, I, I cannot accept that I go to a closet to go to a bathroom or I cannot... It sounds silly, but is that there's a lot of apartments you have to go through the closet to go into the bathroom. No, I know, and I, 99% to the extent times, you know, that you, you're, you have no choice, but, you know, I, I try to always lay out, and even if that means wasting some space or not being 100% efficient, but I'm trying to, to lay out in a way that you can live comfortably. To me, for example, I like the idea that the master bedroom has one door to the master bedroom. Then you walk out of the master bedroom, you can close the door, or at least go through a passage if you don't want a door, and then you have a bathroom and a closet. You're waking up early and your wife wakes up later. Generally, it's the opposite case with me, but <laughs> you can leave the bedroom and you're free to get dressed and go to the bathroom without disturbing. I actually, it's person. funny because I, I have a design in my house. I go through my bathroom into my closet and then I have a door out from my closet into another room so I don't disturb my wife when yeah, I get up in the morning. That could work too, but yes, so that would but be I don't a know solution. How, so but I, I generally try to separate bathroom yeah. and closet and be able to get out of the room. So that might use a little bit more space. Yeah. So by doing that, then, you know, you, you need to size the units in a way that uh, maybe where some people can fit four bedrooms, I might only be able to fit three, but, you know, there are three comfortable bedrooms. With, with construction, I know that you, you've, obviously there's a residential side of your business, and I know you've done commercial as well. Is that correct? Not much. But yeah. Not much. You've done a little bit of commercial. So your focus is primary, because I, I, I saw there was some commercial you did, and I was just curious to know if you drew any crossover between the two commercial to residential if you learn anything from either side and if you find there's any crossover that has benefited you in your business by handling both no i would say there are two completely different uh, it's a different animal altogether it's a different animal altogether the, the only to the extent possible that actually i've done for the first time in this last project what, what you do have in commercial is that you have a drop ceiling throughout the space, which gives you the ability to put down lights anywhere, to put linear diffusers for air conditioning anywhere. Yeah. Uh, most condominiums are built where the, you drop the ceiling in certain areas to run the air conditioning. Yeah. 
and then you're you have a concrete yeah slab to slab slab to slab this new project has a drop ceiling throughout and I, and that new pro- and I'm, I want to get into the new project with you because Vita is something that I've I've looked at and I've seen and you know I my, my first place that I lived in Miami was Brickell but then I got married and our first house was in Coconut Grove and that was back in 2011 and I know you've seen the Grove change over the years Grosvenor House was 2006 and it evolves and I'm curious to know your your sentiments on the Grove because it's kind of a unique neighborhood it's not like Brickell at all it's very different it's changing and Miami's changing a lot as a whole but I'm curious to know how you see it how you see it as changing and where you think it's going well, to me, the, it's the nicest residential area of Miami, the Grove, because you have a cute little town, you're minutes from downtown, you're close to the highway, you're on the water, uh, you have access to, to, to a lot of schools, uh, you're fairly close to the airport, actually. Close it's about airport. 12 minutes, I think. I've timed it. <laughs> so I, I can hardly think of a better area to live in in Miami. The problem with Coconut Grove is there's no developable site. It's very, well, that was, you kind of led into, you segued into another question I have, which is like, as we move forward, when you grew up in Miami, I say growing up in your 20s, and you didn't have the density that we have today. And even Coconut Grove in the last decade has exploded. Getting hold of land, getting hold of space, how are you dealing with that challenge? I mean, it's, it's got to be a, it's got to be a, a challenge. Well, I, I've been able to, at the right time, you always need a little bit of luck to find the right. But you've been quite patient as well. I think. But if you think, you know, Coconut Grove, you know, after Grosvenor, nothing, on waterfront, nothing else has been built. So they, they have Mr. C under construction now. Yep. And that's it. That's it. Well, it's it's not a big area, though. I think people sometimes forget. I mean, if you go to other cities like Chicago or New York or go to L.A. and you drive across the city, there's a big area. But the Grove, the Grove, the Grove is, is, is it's, it's a village. As they say, it's a village in the city. It's so small, and you can go from the North Grove all the way to the South Grove in it's under 10 minutes. So I think sometimes people underestimate. They know the name, but it's teeny tiny. And the amount of, I guess, development for condo development for that zoning for condo development is a fraction of that. I know. It's, I mean, there was a lot of commercial development in Grove that, that occurred, but the residential, the, there's been very little. Yeah. Waterfront. There's been some residential on the, on the backside, but most of it has been commercial. And we've seen that. I mean, there was an article back in 2015 which was titled From Birkenstocks to Billionaires, and it was a kind of reflection of it went from being this artistic kind of bohemian, laid-back village, and then suddenly these houses were getting knocked down, bigger houses were being put up, and there was this appetite coming from the northeast, coming into Miami to buy, and they all, and I, obviously in the last couple of years, we've had mass migration, and everybody, and I kid you not, everybody seems to come down from New York and California, and they get into the Grove, and they just fall in love with it. And it just seems to have this natural, organic feel, which... Not that many Miami neighbors, neighborhoods have that kind of organic feel. Um, with that in mind, with what you're developing now, and I guess we can kind of move into that question. Actually, now I've got a question before that. This is a question, this is just a personal question I had. I, 
some people know, some people don't. I think most people do that. You you own the collection car dealership. Yes. What was your first car? Your very first car. Oh, you wouldn't know it. <laughs> really? You'd be surprised. No, actually, my very first car was a, a little Fiat car. A Fiat? What the like? I was called one twenty seven, but it was a car that never. It's like a hairdryer with wheels. It's like, <laughs> yeah. And then I had a five hundred for a little bit, but you know, in in, in Europe, we, we cars are much smaller. It's a different. Uh, oh yeah, I mean, if you've seen the, if you don't know the the Fiat five hundred. Is the original is is it? It's a pretty small car. Yeah, I mean, sometimes I see it here. Here it looks like a, like it's, it's like a, a clown car. It's yeah, like a toy exactly. clown car. And even in Italy, it looks small now. Yeah. So, but yeah, there, there was like a little Fiat, and then I had a Volkswagen Golf. Is it again? I think I I, I know most people have at one point in their life have had a VW Golf, yeah. myself included. And then my third car was a Saab. Which, the, the, the Swedish one? Yeah, actually, no, interesting fun fact. You know, James Bond's first car in Fleming was a Saab 900. It was yeah. not an Aston Martin, as people seem to think. Oh. Google that, everybody, by the way, oh, if you're just curious know. to know. I had yeah. a Saab 900. Fun fact. Yeah, I but I had a Saab 900 too. Um, so we share some cars. I'm sure your car collection's uh, pretty different right, right about now. No more Saab 900s or Fiat uh, no, no, 500s. No, but... Yeah, but, but actually, what I have a Cayenne now, Porsche Cayenne. Oh, I'm a Porsche guy too. I'm a big, big fan of the German cars. So, coming into the Grove and the development of the Grove, Vita um, was being developed as a different project before, and then you you kind of took that over. Um, what was it that drew you to the project? Like, why, why, why that location? Why Vita? Well, I, I was actually looking and, and uh, had a deal on that uh, property 10 years ago. And then I backed out. This is someone, something nobody knows. But I, I backed out because there were too many issues with the, with the, with the neighborhood, with the neighbors. Yeah, I remember, I remember that. This other group of people took it and... and uh, and, and it didn't pan out for them, obviously. Didn't clearly, pan out too well for them. And then, but but one thing they did is that they settled with the neighborhood. Yeah, and uh, or was they were about to settle with the neighborhood. And then you know I basically came back in and and uh, and took over the development, made a deal with uh, with. And timed it, and all of those those issues that they'd been encountering with the neighborhood were resolved, and and have been resolved. And obviously, you got your condo docks and everything is kind of like yeah, everything is full steam ahead. Legally resolved. The, the, the I, I am not part of the whole legal battle Side. that occurred. Uh, but you, you know, what is your day to, like with your day to day? Because again, as a developer, people kind of misunderstand what people do as developer and. So when you're involved in the project, what was your involvement? You said, okay, I'm going to sit down with the architect. I've got a vision. I've got a plan. What was your vision that you said, okay, I'm going to do something so different? What was your idea and, and how has it evolved, if any? In Vita? You in mean? Vita, yeah. Well, Vita was more of a concept when I came in. So there was an outside 
architectural concept, which is what was that I liked. That's why I came in. You know, I mean, I following, but I was not the main. And the driver. principles of that concept, like the I guess the driving vision behind it. How would you describe that? No, I think that the, they did you know an excellent job. The architects that designed it they did an excellent job, but but uh, but you know that was like having a. a concept mock-up car to actually having a driving car so that project had to be taken to a buildable feasible livable yeah it's project. not a concept car anymore so it's going to be a production yeah all the floor plans there were some conceptual floor plans that you know honestly did not really work so all the floor plans were had to be built from the ground up all the structural system had to be done all the mechanical electrical construction plan do you say it was a, an empty mock-up so when then that happens are you sitting there with MEP plans in front of you and you're pouring over them and you're looking at the you know the way the you know the structure set up how the lobby is going to be how the parking's going to be how the, the distribution are you kind of are you going into that level and getting really yes. I, I enjoy it? doing that yeah is that yes. is that what what is your happy sp I mean is that your happy place when you're when you're in that yeah, state I, I like all the mechanics and the well, I like the architecture, but also like all the functionality of the building. I, I, I you know, I get involved with all the, the all that part, and you know, the Vita has been a challenging, not challenging, but it has been a different, well, challenging. I can say because it's it's a high rise laying flat. Yeah, so it doesn't you, look like other buildings. I mean, when you look at it, and you usual association is these tall. And for so long, everyone wanted the tall, tall skyscraper. Like the bigger, the better. The taller, the better. Um, I think on the water, when you're closer and in contact with the water, is a nicer feeling than when you're up. You know, I mean, I call it the. I agree. I call it the aeroplane effect. Like, who looks out of an aeroplane at fifty thousand square feet? At fifty thousand feet, nobody. You you look when you're landing and when you're taking off. If you have the benefit of having enough land to go horizontal, like at Vita, but that's a very it's a rarity. It's an yeah, unusual. It's a, rarity, it's a usual, unusual. Pro it's more like a house. I mean, that low level exactly. is an elevated one house. of a kind property. The, the, you know, normally you go vertical because land is at a premium, and then you build vertically on top of it. Here, you know, there was the benefit of having a lot of land on where you could spread the buildable square footage. So, going low and along the water was, you know. The, the way to do it. The way to do it, and and uh, because you know the low floor when you're right there on the water, I think it's it's a great feeling. It's like a, a house. Yeah. Uh, Actually, the, the, I found that a lot of the deals I've done when I've sold units that are low floor units, clients will walk in and say, "You know, I prefer this. I don't want to be high up." We just closed one on the fourth floor in Key Biscayne, and the clients were like, "I don't want to be on the fifteenth, the twentieth, the thirtieth floor. I'm not interested. I want to engage." When you're right on the water, you have nothing in front of you. And that's the thing about it. You have nothing in front of you. I mean, every building in Miami, for the most part, has something to the left and the right of you. There's always something flanking you. And when you go to the beach, there's always a building to the north and the south. There's a few exceptions to the rule. You've got Continuum, 87 Park to the south has a park. But for the most of it, you've got buildings right up against you. Yeah. And this is it's like a house, like a waterfront house. Uh, and the units are comparable to a house, the... the the terraces are 13 feet deep. Yeah, I've yeah. sold, I think, about 
all units in the project and no, I've noticed they're big <laughs> and they're big terraces they're livable and everybody who's buying is buying for a primary residence um, so you've got these big terraces and then you've got these these penthouses and you've they've all got swimming pools is that correct yes and those are proper swimming pools five foot deep they're not like a pond like <laughs> time, you know you see yeah I think that's good to say because sometimes we do get those like um, I won't name names because um, you can if you want to you can call me afterwards and I'll tell you but I'm not going to say on camera but we all know that there are buildings that they have these they're basically glorified bathtubs or poorly done jacuzzis that are sitting on terraces and they're called swimming pools now those are five foot pools deep pools and and what what I've done is that I raised the whole floor so that the pool is sank it doesn't stick out from the ground yeah so it's like a swimming pool in a house yeah so the, the, the five feet is a legitimate swimming pool depth but not only that but it, it doesn't stick out from the ground it's flat yeah. so it doesn't it's feel like it's an above ground pool yeah so it, we raise the ground five feet so that the pool is sank into the terrace mm -hmm. i noticed that because some of the architectural features yeah, one of the things is the sliding doors that go outside and you've you've kind of done a notch into the concrete so they are I guess almost like uh, there's no lip there's no lip between the interior and exterior so you get that yeah, no, more seamless that, effect well that is a much more sophisticated type of window system yeah uh, which is called lift and slide no other building has that in Miami I don't think does it no no you're the, you're no, the I mean first. I, I shouldn't say no but not that I know well, not yet. No, uh, no, there isn't. I, so that's I, a German yeah. system. It's a German type of window. Yep. And what, what it does is the window, when you open it... They're very good, these Germans. They get it right. And then slides on wheels. But then when you close it, it goes, drops back down. So it created a tight seal. And it has a very clean look. It gives a nice, clean... And that's why you don't look. need the, the lip. Because the, the, the basically the window, when it drops down, becomes a watertight yeah. seal. So for those who don't understand, the threshold between the inside and the outside often comes in Miami with a big lip, um, and that, you know, people are all, all the time tripping over those things, and it kind of gets yeah, so annoying. Yeah, and, and then, you know, the spinal slide one into the other so that you can completely open yeah. the living area. So there's like four panels that they all... You see that in houses. Do you think we're going to have a changing... I mean, you've obviously evolved your architecture over the years, and this is clearly, it shows, um, on this newest project of yours... Do you think that this is the way things are going in the future? I mean, th this leads me into this thought of, like, where are we going in Miami? Where is this all going to end up in the next 10 years? Do you think we're going to see a lot more of this appetite for condo living that is very primary? Uh, yes, I think that there will always be a demand. I mean, you need to put the time and effort and, and to, to really build this high-end product which I enjoy doing uh, and, and the, yes the demand will, will increase you have a lot Miami's finally taken the place that I always thought was going to happen it's 30 years that I'm kind of waiting for Miami to really get yeah because it takes a while I mean there's this story that we've had a lot where on the language but Miami is very good at growing expanding doing really well and then it kind of shits the bed and something happens and it retracts back but yeah, I don't think this time is going to happen. It's always been New York, LA, and then Miami has always been. It's been the like, it's been the ugly, the third, yeah. the 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 um the ginger stepchild. But now it seems like you know Miami's really got its place in in the United States and in the world, and it's becoming a major metropolis. There is like, finally, you know, there is culture, art, uh, uh, events, Formula One, 
are Basel. It's, it's, you're starting to see more and more of yeah. those uh, of those events, and I, I think Miami is here to stay. People are calling it. I mean, it has its term that been thrown around a little bit. People are calling it the Singapore of the U.S. What do you? What would you say to that? Uh, yeah, it, I, I, or, or the Switzerland of Europe. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that sounds better. I like that. That sounds. That sounds better. I think it's it's a correct definition, and and you know also you have this tax incentives that you yeah. have in in Florida and in Miami that have. Uh, I think this also non deductibility of state taxes that was created yeah. by the, the, the prior administration also tipped the scale where, you know, gave that extra. Well, there was a lifestyle change. I mean, if we, the last couple of years, Miami, and I, we have this on our reports, up to 2020, the market, the condo market took a little bit of a correction. And then obviously with COVID happening, everyone was, you know, locked in a box and no one wanted to be caught in an elevator with another human being. So we kind of retracted back. And then once everyone got the first shot in 2021, which is around March time, it seemed to come out, the condo market just exploded. It just went off and sprinting off into the distance. And obviously the housing market's done extremely well also. Do you see, given the limited land, I mean, do you see us wanting more of these ultra-luxury condos to come down in the next 10 years? And do you see it still being? Well, it's not that similar because, you know, there, there is no more land. No more land, yeah. Supply and demand, it's the fundamentals. So, exactly, supply and demand. And and, uh, and uh, prices got up, went up, sorry, increased substantially. Uh, yeah. But then if you really look at Miami prices, even at the peak, that we are now, yep. compared to major cities, it's still a bargain. New York, I mean, we have offices, we're Douglas Elements, so we have offices in Manhattan and, and you know, around those areas. And yeah, if you look at those figures, they, they still usurp Miami numbers quite considerably. They're at like five, $4,500, $5,000, $5, a square foot. Um, we're not quite Miami there yet. Miami numbers are, are somewhat skewed because when we talk about dollar per square foot in Miami, we're talking excluding balconies, which no other city. Don't they that. do that? They, they don't. Inc- in, I didn't know that. That's a- interesting. Best is a fifty percent terrace in New York. And terraces are a big deal. That's the funny thing. Per- terraces are a big added value. So you, you take a project like Vida, thirty percent of the square footage is terraces, and it's not really accounted for yeah in what you're talking about well you know when you value a house you work off adjusted square footage same as so that. you factor in a third of your terrace in the value of your home you have to yes but in the condos you don't it, to my point so you know the the and in i don't know in new york in europe you know terraces are accounted for 50 percent generally yeah so and you don't pay hoa fees on terraces either uh yeah that's true so Value-wise, so value proposition for you, I mean, typically the southeast corner is the corner that everyone wants to go to in a building. Is it still the southeast corner? That seems to be, in most buildings, the one that, that is tend to be the biggest units. If I look at the buildings, like at Grosvenor, Euro One Line, um, we look at um, Bristol or, or Santa Maria or any of the other buildings, it's that southeast corner that seems to you know carry the, the cachet. Uh, yes. But you know, then the, on the west you have the sunset, yeah, which is you quite attractive. Yeah, I mean, I live on North Bay Road, it faces the west. Well, the west view from—I mean, if you look at some of the buildings, I like the west view because it's engaging in the evening. The, exactly. At nighttime, the the oceans—it's just black. So, I remember that why when I 
got my first office, which was on Brickell, I wanted the office to face west because, you know, I, I, well, first of all, I had an apartment that was facing east. And, and uh, I find the west, the skyline, the lights of the city, the sunset. Beautiful. Uh, Miami is a beautiful city. I think people un underestimate. They come into the city and they see the skyline. And, and from if you're on a boat as you come into, um, into the main part of Miami from, say, Key Biscayne, go towards Brickell or, or downtown Rage Water or even Coconut Grove, it's gorgeous. It's really a stunning, stunning city. And from downtown, you have Miami Beach, so, you know, even the east view. But I, I do not understand you know, the, the east view from Miami Beach where you have a black hole at night. Yeah. You know, uh, that's the most premium views in, in Miami, so I'm not going to... Yeah, I mean, I guess people me. like that on the show. But the big units, the ones that really... We just sold a unit in um, a Miami Beach building, which is a through-flow. It was actually the south corner, the east, south, and west views. And the master, they put at the back, they put the master to the west. Because uh, the views over the intercoastal were stunning. All of them, I, I agree. But if you only face east and you only see the yeah. ocean during the day, is beautiful. But at night, it's and the time you use your terrace is probably you know a lot of people they use it in the evening or very early in the morning. I, I'm not disputing, but I'm saying it, it is. I don't see that huge premium you have for the just due east view. Yeah, that is driven. And you've got a dynamic view. Vita has a dynamic view because from, from your point, you're looking into Coconut Grove, you're looking north up towards, you know, Brickell and downtown area. And then, you know, you're looking across, you can see Key Biscayne and over to South Beach. Yeah, you, you pretty much look almost 360 because depending on which unit, uh, the, the plastic two yeah. tip units, they look, they look south. I mean, east, west, south, west and southeast, but you, you pretty much have a wraparound. So this, this project, obviously, now, I mean, I, I feel like this is an appropriate question. Um, supply chain is the one thing that we never talked about two years ago. Is there sub, I mean, are you feeling there's still supply chain? Do you think it's going to continue on for much longer? Or are you seeing, you know, there's a light at the end of the tunnel? Uh, I wish I knew the answer to that question. <laughs> <laughs> it's a tough question. Uh, I, I can argue both sides, so. It's difficult right now to predict. Eventually, one day, yes, it will yeah. settle. The problem is when. But have six you found or, or six years? Yeah. Um, your project is slated to finish for twenty twenty five, I believe. Yeah. Twenty twenty five, and you've have you broken ground? You're breaking ground in. Well, should be. I, I have to redo the seawall, and. Permitting for the seawall is a little bit challenging. I mean, we're getting there. And actually, we got the first phase of the permit, I should say. So I, I have to get the seawall rebuilt okay. completely. The all the way around? For the longevity of the project, too. Okay. You know, the last thing you want is having you know, yeah. the project built and then the seawall. No, that's crafted. a pretty big deal. Yeah. So, you know, uh, as we get the seawall done, we will start construction. Okay, okay. Um, that, that should, you know, by year end, we should be able to. Okay, so then when you start, and then typically a project takes what? I, couple mean, I, of, I don't want to say rebuilding the seawall is the start of construction. See, so if you want to, if I say, okay, I've started the seawall and that's the start of construction, then we're starting now. You've already and got other stuff really going like on. Like, you start putting foundation for the building, it's probably going to be 
toward the end. I mean, it will be at the end. And yeah, and that's when the piles go. That's when the piles yeah. go in. Okay, so that's it for those who don't know. When you know, stick the piles in, and then then after that, you start going vertical. How well, kind of horizontal? Horizontal. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Should say that better. Should have thought about that for a second. So, and then you're looking at a couple of years, and then we'll be uh, we'll be in 2025. With your career as the way it is right now, I mean, retiring anytime soon, you think this is going to be, you got more, um, more projects in you for years to come? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. We'll see. Okay. Um, I'm going to leave you with I'm one. Sure, I'm pretty sure that, you know, eventually, you know, I would get bored if I didn't have, I don't want to do 20. You're not ready to retire. You're not, basically, you're not ready to retire no, yet. I'm not retiring now. Okay. Maybe I'll take a little more time off, but I'm not retiring. Okay. Um, yeah, I think you deserve a break after this. I'm going to leave you with one last question, and this is actually a question that um, that was a famous uh, interview that was done with Muhammad Ali, and he was asked the same question, so I'm going to ask it to you. Um, if you were to look back on your life, at the end of your life, and someone was to remember you, think about you, talk about you, how would you like to be remembered? Uh, as someone that delivered what he promised. Perfect. Anything else? Uh, no. Okay, well, that pretty much sums it up. Ugo, thank you so much. Really appreciate well, thank this. Thank you. I learned a lot today. Thank you.